Well, good morning. How's everybody today? Good, doing fine. Feeling pretty froggy today. I hope you are too. Uh, I want to continue, uh, carry, begin this morning talking about David, the king of Israel, uh, who found favor before God. David uh, had a very personal relationship with the Lord. The Lord was very fond of him. And I think any Bible student knows that to be the case. The Lord said, he's a man after my own heart, Acts 13 and verse 22. David uh, accomplished a great many things because the Lord backed him in every pursuit he had, almost. Because there come a time uh, when David uh, perhaps became a little satisfied with his accomplishments. Maybe he was just content. And uh, he, he, he took the year off, so to speak, and it kind of led to uh, a lot of problems for him. Uh, David sinned, and he sinned a very grievous sin that most all of us are aware of with a woman named Bathsheba. The, uh, the account of David and Bathsheba uh, addresses uh, lust. David uh, watched Bathsheba bathe. Uh, she was his neighbor, and they spent a lot of time on the top of their houses over there. David was up at the top of the mountain. Bathsheba was down a ways, and he could uh, go out on his porch and uh, look down uh, on her and see her as uh, she bathed. And as he lingered uh, watching her, uh, he, he became excited. And uh, he was curious and, uh, well, he wanted her uh, very much. So he arranged to have her brought to his house. Adultery, of course, took place uh, between him and this woman. Uh, it was kind of easy for her. Her husband was uh, off fighting a war. He was a soldier, and he was gone from home. And uh, David, uh, of course, he, being the king, he had all the privacy he wanted. But uh, when she came and visited him, they uh, engaged in uh, adulterous activities. This is all recorded in Second Samuel chapters 11 and 12. Deception. Uh, became a part of this uh, event. David uh, found out that Bathsheba was uh, pregnant. Well, her husband's gone to war. And the question is, of course, how did this happen? How could she uh, conceive when her husband is off fighting a war? Uh, everybody was going to find out what David did. And he didn't want the people to find out. Uh, he was the king. And people looked up to him. David was a national treasure. I mean, they, the people really, really loved David. And he couldn't let them find out what he had done because it would hurt their feelings. It would hurt the nation that he would do this with one of his soldiers who was out fighting a war. David was supposed to have been out fighting the war, but as I said a moment ago, he took the ear off. He decided not to go out and fight with his troops. He stayed uh, at home in his palace and uh, 
engaged in activities he should not have engaged in. So he had to cover it up. You know, it's a mistake a lot of people have made uh, through the years. Probably one of the most uh, famous uh, that, that we're aware of is, uh, I forgot his name. <laughs> he was a president. Uh, I am not a crook. Well, whoever he was, uh, he, uh, he, David committed this sin. He wanted to cover it over. And uh, he tried. First thing he did, he brought her husband, Uriah was his name. He had him brought home. He figured uh, when he got home, he'd be very happy to see Bathsheba. And uh, they would spend the evening together. And uh, he could say that uh, she conceived by Uriah because it was so close, closely connected. Well, Uriah, he was an honorable man. Uh, he wouldn't go in his house. He slept outside the door because uh, he just didn't feel right going into his own bed, uh, being with his family while his brethren were out fighting this war. So he stayed outside and didn't go in. So David couldn't, uh, he couldn't blame it on Uriah or attribute the child to Uriah. David, uh, he came up with different ideas trying to cover up his sin. He failed. And then finally, uh, he, he sent him back to the front line, uh, and he carried a message with him. The message was to be given to Joab, commander of the army. And uh, the plan was that Uriah and his battalion, his group, whatever it was, they would run up to the wall. They were, they were trying to uh, attack a fortified city, and these guys would run up to the wall. Well, when you run up to the wall, that's, that's certain death. You're going to die when you go up to the wall because you know, they're going to pour oil over the side and scald you, or they're going to shoot you with their arrows or throw a spear at you. Uh, but when you run up against that wall, you, you're going to die. David knew that. So Uriah and his company, however many it was, uh, they, they, they attacked the wall like they were told to do, and sure enough, they all died in, in the thick of that battle. David went uh, as far as uh, murder to try to cover up his sin. Well, he still had a problem because Bathsheba's husband was dead. He couldn't have conceived the child with her because he hadn't been around and now he's dead. So David uh, has to own it. He takes the widow to himself and he, he makes her one of his wives and then uh, let nature run its course from that time forward. David, uh, the man after the heart of God, uh, he fell mightily. Uh, he committed horrible crimes, uh, put to death an innocent man, Uriah, an honorable man, more honorable than David was. He had him put to death, and uh, along with the men that were with him that had nothing to do with it, and uh, conceived a child with Uriah's wife. It, it, was, it was a horrible situation. It was just horrible what, what David had done. It's one of the things about the Bible that you have to respect is uh, the heroes in the Bible, if they committed sin, those sins are exposed. 
in real life, you know, the sins, according to the history books, generally, as a rule, the sins of men are covered over. Uh, they don't uh, report it if you're on uh, the winning side. It's, it's the victor that writes the history book. And if you're on that side, uh, whatever crimes may have been committed by your side, you leave it out of the history books. The Bible doesn't do that. It records uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And in this case, it was, it was very, very ugly. David learned that there was a high cost to sin, very high cost. And uh, I think if we had the time to take the time to analyze it all, I think we would all, all see that it is a very high cost sometimes that has to be paid for sins we commit. In this case, there were hard times for the house of David now. He would have some, some terribly hard times. His, uh, his child uh, was going to be sick, the one born by Bathsheba. He would be sick. And David, he, he prayed feverishly that this child might live. Maybe it was because of the guilt he felt. The child was conceived uh, in an adulterous fashion. Maybe David thought it was his fault that the child was sick. And he prayed uh, with all of his heart that God would, would forgive and let that child live. Uh, he fasted. He laid on his face out in his yard. And uh, he refused to eat. He wouldn't change his clothes. He wouldn't bathe. He just fasted and he fasted and he fasted. And his, uh, his counselors, his aides, they became concerned because the king, uh, he was in a deep state of depression and th this wasn't good. And, and they were trying to figure out a way to, to, to cheer him up, to get him up, to, to help him out. And no matter what they thought of, there was nothing that was going to work. He was, uh, he was so broken over this matter and he continued to pray. And one day they had to come to him and say, sir, your, your son is dead. They thought David would have a breakdown, but they were wrong. He did not have a breakdown. To the contrary, uh, David got up off the ground. He went into the palace. He, uh, he bathed himself. He put on clean clothes. And then he sat down at the supper table and uh, took food. And they were all, they were all shocked. Uh, while the child was sick, he prayed so feverishly. And then after the child died, he, he just went on with business as usual. And uh, oh, they were terribly perplexed. Well, that was the beginning of David's woes. It wasn't uh, too long after that he experienced uh, more hard times and it had to do again with his children. Uh, there was rape, murder, and banishment. The children involved was Tamar, Amnon, and Absalom. Uh, Tamar and Absalom were full brother and sister. They had the same mother and the same father. In the case of Amnon, he was a half-brother. He had a different mama. The, the, David was the father of all three of these. Uh, well, they're adults, actually, but they're very young adults. Uh, David was the father of all. Amnon, he, he, did, uh, he did the unthinkable thing. He, uh, he thought he loved his half-sister. Uh, apparently she was very attractive. Amnon 
watched, and uh, he had ideas about her, and he approached her, and it, it wasn't going to go well for him. She didn't want uh, to reciprocate his feelings, so he, he took her, and he, he just raped her. And uh, her brother, Absalom, uh, he found out what Amnon did. Oh, boy. He lit up like a Roman candle. He was so angry, but he couldn't do anything about it. As far as David was concerned, he just, he just let it go. Uh, there wasn't going to be any punishment for the crime. They just you know, kind of let it go. But Absalom, uh-uh, he wasn't going to let it go. He stewed and he stewed and he stewed. Went on for two years. And then finally the opportunity came. Absalom, he, he rose up and he, he killed his half-brother. Now, now there's murder in the family. It's, it's a terrible situation. In the case of Kamar, Tamar, she's now, she's scarred for life, I suppose. Uh, Amnon, well, he's dead. Absalom, he's on the run. He has to split uh, because, uh, because he did kill uh, his half-brother, a male, because he did kill him. Uh, there would be judicial proceedings that would follow. It's much different to kill a man than it was a woman. So uh, he did the only thing he could do if he wanted to live. He left the country, and he resided in another country. And uh, David's family is just busting apart. I mean, everything is coming apart. It was a high price for his sin. You know, he looked out at Bathsheba that day, and he got some strange ideas. And now everything's falling apart. His whole family's in an uproar, and it wasn't good. David, he mourned for his son every day. That is Absalom. It appears to me, and this is only speculation, but it appears that David was especially fond of Absalom. He, uh, he, he grieved uh, every day. He doesn't say much about his grieving over Amnon, but he grieved over Absalom, something fierce. Uh, because he was gone. He couldn't see him. He couldn't talk to him. And uh, he, he really liked the boy, and he wanted to be around him more than he was getting. Well, even more hard times befell uh, the house of David. Absalom, he, he finally came back to Jerusalem. Several years went by, and then uh, he was permitted to come back to Jerusalem, but he can't see the king. Okay, you got to stay away from the king. Uh, so even though he was back in the city, you know, he's still, you know, he's not going to see his daddy, and his daddy's not going to see him. Well, Absalom, you know, he's mad at David. He's really upset with David. So uh, he starts, uh, he starts the political thing. Uh, he's he's telling all the people, you know, like out in the marketplace or wherever he can find a crowd. He's telling them, you know, uh, let me see uh, your, your complaint. They, they would come to a certain place and they would uh, issue their complaints against someone else. Maybe they stole their land or, or maybe they stole a cow, whatever it was. They would issue their complaints uh, before a judge and then a sentence would be passed on these people and Absalom would say, let me see your complaint. And Absalom would read, he'd say, oh yeah, well, you got a good case. If, if, if I were in position of power, uh, I would see to it that you're rewarded, that you would get what you're looking for. And this went on for, for a long time. 
Absalom was greasing everybody, telling them what they wanted to hear, making them feel good about themselves. And, you know, of course, people say, you know, that Absalom, I really like that guy. He's a really smart guy. You know, I, I think he's smarter than his daddy is. I never met a man as smart as Absalom. And the people are just talking, and they're getting happy about Absalom. And in time, he, he gathered a, a great following, a following larger than David's was. Uh, he was uh, riding the high wave at this particular time, and he was making these false promises. He, you know, I put a chicken in every pot. <laughs> you know, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll do the other thing. Just, you know, give me the power, and uh, we'll be a better state than we are at this time. So Absalom, we're told, stole the hearts of the men of Israel. He won them over. He won them over. And what came next was horrible. A revolution uh, would follow against his father, David. He gathered up all these men and they decided it was time for David to go and for Absalom to be the king. And they wanted to do war with David's army. And this is what they set out to do. A decisive battle finally after so much fighting. And they came down to a decisive battle uh, near the forest of Ephraim. Well, one would win, one would lose. And whoever won, he'll be the king. He'll be back in power. David, at this time, he's living out in the woods. Absalom, he's living in the palace. You know, he's got the, he's got the good seat. But uh, they, they finally, the two armies came together here at the Forest of Ephraim, and they were going to, uh, to do battle. And they did do battle. David, he, he told his soldiers, speaking especially to Joab, he was a rascal, uh, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. Joab hated Absalom. He really didn't like him a little bit. Uh, they'd had a falling out and things were just terrible. And he told him, he said, you know, when you catch him, uh, don't hurt him. Okay, be careful with him and don't hurt him. And, of course, the, the army, many in the army, they heard what the king said to his uh, commander. And uh, Absalom died. Uh, Joab killed him. Absalom was riding a mule. No, they didn't ride horses. They rode mules. But he was riding this mule uh, through the forest. And as he was going, you know, trying to get away from the army, uh, there was uh, big trees everywhere. And there was a big tree that he ran up on that, that was, had a forked limb, something like that. And when, when he passed through on his mule, he, he couldn't get down under the, the tree enough. And he, he got hung his, by the neck. He got hung up in that fork in that tree. And the mule ran off, ran off from under him. And th there he was. He was sitting there, standing there, hanging there in this uh, tree. And the soldiers were gathered around trying to figure out what to do with him. And Joab came and, you know, what's, what's this, what's he hanging there for? And uh, they said, well, the king wanted us to be gentle with him, but, you know, we didn't know what you wanted. He said, kill him. And they wouldn't kill him because David, you know, gave him an order to be gentle. And so Joab killed him himself. He, he slew the boy uh, as he hung there in the tree so he would never be a problem again. David found out about uh, the death of uh, Absalom, and he, he cried out in 2 Samuel 18, verse 33, O oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I have died for you, O oh, Absalom, 
my son, my son. David uh, mourned Absalom much like he had mourned uh, the infant who died. The infant who died, David mourned and prayed before the child died. Of course, in the case with Absalom, he's mourning for his son, but he's already dead. And this, uh, this angered uh, Joab, his commander. And he, 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 after so much mourning, David kept on boohooing. Uh, Joab got pretty upset with the king, and he, you know, he, I don't know if he grabbed him by the ears or not, but he, he got in his face, that's for sure. And he told him, he said, what are you doing mourning? Did you want us to lose the battle? Would you feel happier if we had died and they had lived? Would you feel better if, if you were off the throne and Absalom was on? What are you doing this for? You're making the whole army feel bad. They feel guilty. When they came back into town because they knew that the king was mourning, they, they, they snuck back into town. Instead of coming through with a great parade like they normally would, they, they, they came in by stealth so no one would know that they were back. Why, they were ashamed of what they had done because it had broken the heart of the king that all these people adored. And Joab, boy, he was upset. Why on earth are you doing this? So David, he straightened up and uh, he behaved outwardly like he was supposed to as their king, but inwardly he continued to mourn uh, something awful. Now here's the question I got on my mind. Why was David's reaction so different? He had two sons that died. The first one was an infant. And that was a, a terrible event. When the infant died, David shed no tears. Now, he shed tears up to the point the child died. And once the child died, he shed no more tears. Why? And then in the case of Absalom, it was just the opposite. Absalom died, and, and David, he shed all kinds of painful tears. Why, why did David cry so vehemently before the infant died, but not after? And then after Absalom died, but we have no record of before. What, what, was, what was different about all this? I think, I think the difference had to do mostly because David knew what the outcome of both of his sons was going to be. When, 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 when he was asked about the child they king, you know, how come you quit mourning? And he asked, in verse 23, he said, why should I fast? Can I, can I bring him back again? Why should I cry after the boy's dead? Will God let him come back to me? And then he said, I shall go to him, the infant but he shall not return to me. 
David understood something about the afterlife. We know that there is a paradise for the righteous who died. When the thief on the cross died, our Lord said, Today you shall be with me in paradise, Luke 23:34. And uh, they were. He took him to paradise with him. When a righteous person dies, they go to paradise. Apparently, David knew this. He had a, some kind of understanding that some type of reward awaited his infant child. So he cried. He cried vehemently up till the moment the child died. And then he stopped crying. And he, he went on about his business. I think the reason why, number one, it wasn't going to do any good to cry. And number two, uh, the child was better off with the Lord than it would have been with David. And I think David understood that. So he didn't, he didn't cry himself into a stupor over the loss of his son. Absalom, on the other case, Absalom was much different. Absalom wasn't going to go to paradise. Absalom wasn't going to find a reward. He was guilty of a lot of sins. He was not a penitent man. He was a man who, who violated his own father in a number of ways. He tried his very best to disgrace David in front of the whole world. And he did so. And he did so quite successfully. I would suppose that when Absalom died, David knew what his portion would be in the next world. And it would be very, very hot where he went. Knowing what would become of his son, the king made himself sick. Straining over the loss of his boy. In addition to all that, David was probably, he probably felt responsibility for what become of what become of Absalom. Now, I said all this to point out the responsibility of parents. Parents have a grave responsibility. The Lord is, has given you his children to raise. And he tells you how to do it, and he expects you to do it. He wants you to teach the children he's given you for a while. It's on loan, you know. Eventually, they're going to go back to their true father. But on loan, in your care for a short time, there are certain things you are to accomplish. David failed. Oh, he had a child that went to paradise. But that's because David didn't have a chance to corrupt him like, they did, like he did the rest of his children. He's probably one of the worst fathers we read about in the Bible. His children met terrible ends, largely due to the fact that they didn't have much of a father figure.
And that's where you stand right now. A man, I think, oh, at least 40 years ago, I heard a preacher uh, talking. And he said, uh, imagine standing in the judgment and you look across the way and you spot your, your son over there or your daughter over there. And imagine as you stood there, you, you watched the Lord Jesus say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. He said, what would you feel like in that moment? You know, it about took my breath. Think about such a thing happening. That was one of the most horrible thoughts I ever thought, is to see my child rejected by the Son of God in the day of judgment. Well, that's kind of where David was on this day. He knew what was coming. And it almost drove him mad. But we're fortunate. Your children still with you. You still have the opportunity to train them. And what you want to do with all your might is try to make sure that in the day of judgment, when you look across the way and you see your son or daughter, you see the Lord Jesus put his arms around them and pull them into his bosom. What a difference that event will make in the life of every one of us. Where have all the modern Absaloms gone? Well, some are pulled away because personal faith is being destroyed. You, we all know that. We're living in an age that's trying its very best to destroy faith in God. Yeah. We get pounded on, on every side. We get pounded by people who want to persuade our children to believe that God is mythical, that he's not a real person, that there's no such thing as a real devil. And, you know, they're, they're quite successful at what they do. Your child's faith, there are people in this world who want to destroy your child's faith. It may be on the television. It may be in a cartoon. It comes from all angles at you. And you, you have to fight back. There's an infringement of the world into the hearts and minds of our children. You know, we all like pleasure. Pleasure's pleasurable. And we enjoy it, and we know we do. We know where to draw a line, where pleasure has to stop, and something else has to begin. Children do not. They don't understand that there are other things in this world besides pleasures entertainment, sensual enjoyment. They don't know where to draw the line. And without someone to show them 
how to draw that line, they're liable to be swept up in the world. Then finally, there's parental neglect. You know, there are a lot of parents today, they're just too lazy to have kids. They're lazy, lazy, lazy. You go to the Walmart and you'll see people yelling at kids all over the place. But you'll very seldom see a parent go get that child and do something about their bad behavior. They scream, they scream, they scream, and they scream. And the kid just continues to do whatever it wants to do. There's a lot of kids that have no regard whatsoever what their parents say. Their parents don't fool with them. I seen a woman on TV the other day, they were talking about uh, parental responsibility. She said when she got home from work, she's too tired. She was just too tired. She didn't have the energy to fool them kids. And I was thinking to myself, well, if you don't, who will? <laughs> Somebody will. Somebody will. Somebody will spend time with your children. Somebody will teach your children things. Someone will show your children other ways. Hardest thing I ever did was be a daddy. Tough job. And mother, at least in my house, was even tougher. It's hard to be a parent. It'll wear you out. It'll wear you down. There'll be sometimes you feel like you can't put one foot in front of another. But you do. You do. Because there's too much at stake. That's your child. That's your baby. And you can't take a chance on that child growing up and being the kind of a person that well, nobody likes or the kind of a person that'll get in trouble or the kind of a person that'll run with Satan. There's too much at stake. We have no control over what the world does. We see it. But there's nothing we can do about it. But we can, we can control our own. It'll be tough. You know, it, it lasts for about, what, 15 years, and then it starts calming down. If you do the 15 years right, hopefully the last three or four ain't going to be as hard as they might otherwise be. Uh, kids can be a handful, man. Ooh, man, I love that child with all my heart. But she could push me right to the edge. Her and Janie Bell back there. There were two peas in a pod. They like to push my buttons. But you can't give up. You can't give up. You can't give up. There's too much at stake. I had a lot I wanted to say, but I'm going to get you out of here before 1 o'clock. So I'm going to bring it to a halt right now. Parenting's hard. There's no doubt about that. And there's no guarantees in life. Everybody knows that too. But if you do your very best to raise your child properly, irregardless of what might happen, God forbid, you'll know that you've done your very best. And that's all anybody can do. 
in a day or two, your child will be gone, married, having children of their own. It'll come to an end. But while you're a work in process, give it your very best. If you're not a child of God, you are put in this world to walk with your creator. You are to believe that his son is in fact his son Jesus. That he died for our sins and sinful ways. We are to repent, resolving our hearts to stop sinning. We'll still sin. We'll still sin. We'll get mad or whatever and we'll sin. But we're not going to sin willfully anymore. We're going to have a change of heart. We are to confess Jesus and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of sin. As Christians, you know, as good as I do, we got to keep on keeping on. Because it's a, it's a promise, a reward that's offered to those who remain faithful unto death. So why don't we just do that? Why don't we just make sure that each one of us are successful and that when this life is over, we'll live together in heaven with God Almighty. If you need divine forgiveness, don't, don't monkey around. Get things right with the Lord and then be the best you can.